good morning. It's good to see all of you here. My name is Pastor Wayne Park, and I serve as uh, the lead pastor here at Woven Covenant Church, and it is also my privilege to Sunday after Sunday, uh, not just lead, I don't like that word, but to encourage. And I see it as my task to continually encourage week in and week out our congregation and our people. And so our encouragement has taken us into a discussion about work. And we're in a series that's for the season of fall called Sanctifying Monday to Friday. Sanctifying Monday to Friday, where we're talking about work and what you do for your 40 hours a week, 40 plus hours a week, work and spirituality. Too often the misunderstanding is that what we do here on Sunday, church activity, the Lord's Supper, Bible study, this is spiritual stuff. But what you do, studying when you're at school, or parenting children, or working in the office place, that's not spiritual. This is a misunderstanding, and it's incorrect. If you are a Christian, and the work that you do as a parent, as a worker in the marketplace, as a student, if you are a Christian and what you do is ethical, then it is all spiritual. This division between what is spiritual and what is secular, it's unhelpful. And so what we're trying to do through this series is not only convey that everything that you do as a Christian is spiritual, but also to help you find ways to um, break through, I guess, to find ways in your work to connect what you're doing with God's design and God's purposes. And I know that's challenging. I know that's easier said than done. I know that for me, to talk about this stuff up here is easy. This week I was at Bennett's shop. Uh, he's not here today. But on Friday, um, Bennett installed the hitch that goes onto the back of my van so that we can start pulling our new church trailer. We're going to receive it on Wednesday and come Next Sunday, God willing, there should be a trailer parked out right here in the front so that we can have all of our equipment. And as he installed it, he was underneath my vehicle grunting and almost letting me know, this is hard work, man, and installing it. And he was really sweating bullets, and he came up drenched, and he was like, ah, you know, Bennett was really working hard. And, you know, as I, as I saw that, as I spoke with different people this week, some of you at the ball game, some people at, you know, different points this week, as I heard about your lives, as I heard about your sacrifices, really, as I saw the sweat, metaphorically speaking, on your back, and in Bennett's case, quite literally speaking, I thought to myself, I talk about your jobs as if I know what I'm saying. And for me to talk about your lives, I'll never truly understand what it's like to be in your shoes. And I try to empathize, I try to understand, and I try as best as I can, but my hope is really um, knowing that as a pastor, I live in a world of ideas, in a world of ideals. My hope is to encourage you. My hope is that Sunday after Sunday, you come to this place, you take of the Lord's Supper, or you hear a word, or you sing a song, and your spirit's are encouraged, lifted up, and that you can say once more into the breach. Once more. Because I understand life, it's difficult. I understand there's challenges at work. And I hope today's word will encourage you. 
And so today's word is going to come from Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It is the first passage in the reframe class. And let me just say, by the way, um, the reframe course, you saw a preview vi video for it today. The reframe course is going to be starting, Sang's group is going to be starting up pretty soon. I'm going to be starting um, a viewing of the reframe course at my house starting this Friday. And you're all invited, you're welcome to attend. Um, let me know on your communication card if you're interested in being there. And um, in that first reframe course, we're going to hear this very same verse. So I thought I would preach through it, Luke chapter 24. And what I'd like to do along the way as I talk through Luke 24 is pause and to give you some space to contemplate and to pray. I could tell you how to contemplate at work. I could tell you that you should contemplate at work or you should do spiritual things on the job. I think the best thing that I could do today is provide you with a space. As I said last Sunday from that poem by Denise Levertov, to contemplate comes from that word temple, templum. It is a space marked out by the augur, by a priest that says this is holy ground. This is a space for you to rest, to breathe, and to contemplate on your work, on your studies, on your parenting. And so today, through this series, as I walk through, or through this message, as I walk through Luke 24, we're going to pause to pray every now and then. By the way, all of these prayers we're going to pray today, they come right out of our practical prayer series. And if you were here last January, we talked through, uh, we learned different prayers. These prayers are in their, they're from the Practical Prayer Series. I want to call your attention to that because that's such a helpful resource. Hopefully that might be a useful tool even at work. If you look on the bottom of your notes, on the bottom of your notes, you'll find the URL for that. And on that page, you'll find our prayers. You'll find these in, even in audio format, so you can download them and listen to them. You'll find different tools and resources to help us um, to just carve out that space in our busy work lives to listen to God. And so, here we go. We'll talk along three headings, three headings as we work through Luke chapter 24. The first is faltering on the way. Secondly is reminiscing along the way. And third is remembering the way. Faltering on the way, reminiscing along the way, and third is remembering the way. And so we begin with that first heading, faltering on the way. I'll start out by telling a story. There's a play, a Broadway play. I think it's Broadway, off-Broadway, one of those things. It's an old-time play. It's called uh, Waiting, for Waiting for Godot. Waiting for Godot is a play by Samuel Beckett. And it's a play about two men, Vladimir and Estragon, who stand on the stage and they spend the entire duration of the play waiting for somebody named Godot, who people believe is a metaphor for God. And as they wait for Godot, I don't know how long, maybe it's a three-hour play, you sit there and you watch them juggle, and you watch them walk up and down a ladder, you watch them eat some fruit, you watch them sweep, you watch them have meaningless conversations. And as they wait for God or wait for Godot, you get the sense that it is almost a meaningless activity. The hope is gone. The purpose is missing. 
Sometimes in life, when we're waiting for Godot, waiting for God, we might feel like, what is the purpose of this? What is the meaning? And you sit there and you're waiting, and we fill up our time with what might appear to be, what might appear to be meaningless activity. The story that we're about to embark on now, you catch two men, you see two men that seem like, they're very similar to Vladimir and Estragon, waiting for something. God has disappeared. God died. Jesus on the cross. And here we pick up Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Look with me, if you will. Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. So this is the story of the road to Emmaus. And this village was about five, I'm sorry, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had taken place I can't believe this happened. I can't believe Ken Giles just gave up the game. Six home or six six runs in the ninth inning. It was complete despair. Everything folded. We lost our wild card chances. I can't believe Jesus just died. What do we do with our lives now? Last I checked, Peter and the and James and John they went fishing. They're going back to their old jobs. I can't believe this is all over. All of our hopes are gone. What do we do now? This is all meaningless. I wonder about the nature of their talk. Were they like Vladimir and Estragon saying, this is all meaningless? It, it, they've lost sight of the story. And as they wait, or as they walk and wait for Godot, so to speak, in verse 14, they were talking about all these things, and then it says in verse 15, Jesus himself... Listen to this, in the midst of our meaninglessness, sometimes where we can't see the purpose, in the midst of that, somebody walks alongside. Maybe you're familiar with the Footprints poem where it says, I was walking alone, I was walking alone. I was by myself. Where were you, God? And the punchline is it was those times when I was carrying you. So it's in the midst of the meaningless or, or what seems to be meaningless moments of our lives where Jesus quietly slips alongside us, but they don't recognize him. It says in verse 16, their eyes were prevented from recognizing. Oftentimes, friends, this is the trick. God is not with me. God left. God is not on my side. But oftentimes, our eyes fail to see Jesus in the simple and in the mundane and in the small things. Friends, I want to encourage you today and tell you you're not in a meaningless story. Waiting for Godot is not a, a, a purposeless endeavor. You are part of a story, and there is a presence with you, even if you don't recognize it. There's a famous saying by Carl Jung. I know Carl Jung is... is you know, old school psychology light, but there's an old saying by Carl Jung that above the entryway to his house, there's a sign that says, bidden or unbidden, God is present. Whether you called him or not, God is there. 
And lots of times we think I have to be on my extra good behavior or I have to be at church or I have to call on God. I like what he's saying. What he's saying is whether you are good or bad or whether you're living a good life or a bad life, whether you've called on him or not, whatever is happening in your life, bidden or unbidden, God is present. God is there. I grew up with a sense of spirituality where I almost had to work myself up to get into the presence of God where I almost had to praise a little bit harder, and then the presence of God came. Friends, this is incorrect. Bidden or unbidden, called upon or not, God is present. And it's in the midst of this, it's in the midst of this that He calls us back, calls us back, calls us back to the story. The big picture story, capital S. And so... We've been living our lives, and sometimes we get into a rut where we say, what does this mean? What is the purpose of it? And the quiet presence behind us reminds us, reminds us, reminds us. Listen to the conversation that he has with them in verse 17. What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? This is Jesus. What are you talking about, guys? And this stranger joins them on their journey, walks alongside them, and they stood still, looking sad. On any given Sunday, I can tell, as I look at your faces, he's had a good week. She's had a terrible week. I can tell as I look, it's been a rough one for you, hasn't it? You're looking sad. You're looking tired. You're looking downcast. You need some encouragement. They stood still, looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened in these days? Do you really have no idea what's going on? And this Jesus that they don't recognize, this Jesus whom they don't recognize, he kind of plays dumb. And he says, no, what, what happened? What happened? Tell me what happened. And in times in our lives, friends, I think Jesus will give you the opportunity to tell him back the story, to test you, to say, let's see if you've got the right narrative. It's like with a child. If I have to give my child an instruction, I'll say, tell me back what I said. And they'll kind of, uh, you said to do this and that. And No, that's not what I said. And so there's a sense where Jesus says, tell me now, what is the story? What is the big picture thing that's happening in your life right now? Tell it back to me. And this is, no, that's not the story. That's not the story. And you see him testing them in verse 19. What things happened? You know, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. And he's like, okay. In verse 20, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. And he says, okay. And in verse 21, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. And he says, Okay, I'm not sure if you're taking this story the right direction. What do you mean by redeem Israel? What thoughts do you have? And then they continue in verse 22. Also, some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they didn't find his body. They came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of us who were with us, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the woman also said, but they did not see him. And? 
That's it? That's the story? Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. I've been telling you the story for 23 chapters now. I've been telling you the story for 23 chapters and you still got it wrong. And if you have small children, maybe you know what this feels like. I've told you 23 times. 23 times. This is the way. Have you gotten the story yet? And as I've told you the story, they still haven't gotten it. Friends, when you read the Gospels, when you read the Gospels, especially uh, I think of the Gospel Mark, Gospel of Mark, you see many times, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. And as they travel along with Jesus along the way, they still don't understand that He's going to die, that He's going to raise again, and that He will reign eternal. That He will interrupt the world with a new kingdom, a new world order that will change everything. It'll make up, down, poor, rich. It will revolutionize everything. Friends, is Jesus speaking to us today with those words? Oh, foolish men and women, I say that as lovingly as I can. Slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. And yet in our lives, everything else is screaming. A different narrative a subversive narrative, something that devalues us, something that hurts us, something that pulls the wool over our eyes and tells us lies. And in the midst of that, we need to hear the bigger story, capital S. And so I'd like to pause for this moment, if you could pull up, Frank, the woven prayer of examine. We taught this prayer back in January. Again, you can find this at our practical prayer webpage, or if you look on our homepage of our website, there's a practical prayer link, and you'll find this available to pray on your own. This is a wonderful prayer that at times I'll pray at the end of the day just to bring myself back, back, back to the main story, capital S. There it is. I'd like you to pray these words with me slowly and use this space for contemplation. And when we're done, I'll pause for about 20 seconds of silence. Let's pray. All together now. God, I am grateful for today. As I review my day, what should I take notice of? Please shed your light and show me what I really need. Where was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do I owe an apology? Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? Was I kind and loving towards all, or was I thinking of myself most of the time? Forgive me for my harms and show me what corrective measures I should be taking. This I do in Jesus' name. Amen.
we falter on the way. We lose sight of your story. Instead, we buy into the different narratives, the lies. We buy into a different end game, a different vision. God, thank you for this good silence that we've had. A chance for us to recenter ourselves on your story and your hope of resurrection. In Jesus' name. The silence is good. It's, it's actually very quiet inside here. The second heading is reminiscing along the way. To reminisce is to remember, to look back. Oh yeah, I do remember that story. I remember that story when you were talking. I, I recall you talking something about that. Reminiscing along the way. And Jesus begins to speak to them in verse 26. And he says, listen guys, I'm going to tell you a story. That's what he does. He tells them a story, and he says, was it not necessary for the Christ? He speaks about himself in third person, and they don't know it's him. Wasn't it necessary for Christ, the Christ, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Do you remember when we went through the servant songs of Isaiah this past summer, and we were talking about how the servant is supposed to go through these things? And how the servant really fulfilled, this Christ fulfilled these things, you remember? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, and I'm pretty sure Jesus t- spoke about Isaiah, which we, which we learned this past summer. He explains to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. He brings them back to the story. He says, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? And he brings them back, 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 back to the story. Um... I was talking about life with somebody and, you know, we were, he was going through a difficulty in his own life and it re- reminded me, <laughs> I, I know this is really kind of corny, but it reminded me of the Star Wars narratives where when you watch Star Wars, there's repeatedly this thing where everything gets really, really, really bad. Everything starts to go wrong. Um, it looks like the empire is going to win, and it looks like the project has failed. It looks like Jesus died. It looks like all of our hopes are gone. But at that last moment, it has to get really bad before it gets better. And what happens is right at the last moment, something happens, like an Ewok comes through or a little robot turns the tide of the whole war. And what happens is it's through the actions of the little people. This is why Lord of the Rings also is one of my favorite stories. Because in a very profound way, it's the actions of the little people that turn the story around and rescue the entire narrative. The little people, the disciples in the story, they will be the hobbits. They will be the little Ewoks or the droids. And what happens is we get to this place where we remember the story that things, they get bad, but they get better. They get better. There is always hope. Even death does not stop us, friends. Even death does not stop us. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah chapter 21. Isaiah chapter 21, verse 11, where they call out, Watchmen! Watchmen! And there's a watchman on the city walls. How far gone is the night? In other words, what time is it? Is the sun coming up yet? And the watchman responds, 
Morning is coming. Morning is coming, but also night. It's only 2 a.m. It's only 3 a.m. Yes, the sun will rise, but there still is some more night. Friends, maybe this might be a word to you even this morning. Morning is coming, but, and then some. There's still some night. Morning is coming, but also night. And so, friends, you're beginning to remember the story of resurrection. As you listen to these words, you're beginning to hear the story and the message of hope. You're beginning to remember that there is a Christ, that he died, but he rose again. Even death did not stop him. And as you reminisce, as you reminisce, and you remember something, the story begins to come back. What do we do now? We have to surrender ourselves to the story. We have to surrender ourselves to the work of God in our lives. We have to turn over our will to the care of a God. That is the hard part. The hard part is, I've got control of my story. I'm steering this cart. I'm driving this ship. I have control. But when we hear the story, we gradually have to surrender control of the narrative of our own lives. And if you've ever done that, it is a scary thing. And so the second prayer I'd like to call us to pray together and to have this space for contemplation for we taught this back in, back in uh, last winter with a practical prayer series. It's called the AA Third Step Prayer. The AA Third Step Prayer. And I understand that this is for a different group, but the thing is, this is a very helpful prayer for Christians. I'm a firm believer in the value of this prayer. So let's pull that up on the screen. And I want to invite you. I want to invite you to pray these words. Even if, even if it means holding your hands open and saying, God, here's my job. Here's my life. Take control. I give it to you. Let's pray this together, and once again, we'll have a pause afterwards. God, I offer myself to Thee to build with me and to do with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. God, it is scary turning over my will to you. It is scary turning over control to someone other than myself. I don't fully trust you, if I'm honest. There are things that I'm holding on to in my life with white knuckles 
And I know that you're not going to pry my fingers open. I know it's for me to let those things go. So I let these things go. My job, my studies, my parenting, my marriage, my reputation, my glory, my jealousies, my covetousness, my hatred, my anger, fierce anger, my resentments, all of those things, I let them go to you now. Show me what I need to do next. In Jesus' name. I hope that this is helping you, and I hope that this space of contemplation is a blessing. We conclude now with the third and last part, remembering. I remember. I remember this story. I remember where I heard that song. I remember that scene from that movie. I remember, I remember, I remember. I love these words. As the story concludes, they approached the village and he acted, this Jesus, whoever, this stranger acted as though he were going further. And they said, come on, hey, we like you. You tell us good things that make us feel better. Stay with us. Church was so good today. Jesus, stay with me. Stay with me a little bit longer. Because I got to wake up on Monday morning and go back to life. And I got to face this stuff. Stay with me a little bit longer. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll stay with you. And in verse 30, he had reclined at the table with them. And what did he do? He took bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And it's funny. Test me on this. All throughout the Gospels, whenever Jesus touches bread, he does the same four things. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it away. The same four verbs are used. And as he does that, these two guys, this Vladimir and Estragon, these two bozos, they're like, wait, there's something familiar about this. <laughs> and as they, they're like, where, where have I seen this before? I've seen this somewhere. What is this? And then all of a sudden, one of them looks at the other and he says, wait a minute, I got it. And just as he gets it, Jesus disappears. <laughs> He disappears. Their eyes were opened. They recognized, and he vanishes from their sight. Oh, that's so like Jesus. And then they look at each other, and these beautiful words, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us? Wasn't your heart burning? Friends, you know why we gather every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday? You know why I encourage you to be a regular church attender? Because every Sunday you get heartburn. <laughs> Sunday after Sunday you're reminded of the story. I need to be reminded Sunday after Sunday. You know what I do on my day off? My day off is Monday. I listen to other preachers preach. <laughs> because I need to be reminded of this story too. Because every, every week at least once I need to be in a place. I was tickled. I was tickled when I realized that a lot more people listen to this podcast than I realized. 
People from around Texas. Yeah, I was at camp and they said, Pastor, I've been listening to your podcast. And on their commute, they listen to these words because for them, it's a chance for the heart to be burning again. It's a chance for us to be children of the burning heart. And as your hearts are burning, wasn't our heart burning as we were hearing the words of Scripture, as they were being explained to us? (sighs) Friends, at work, in your lives, I know, even in my life, even as I do church work, I lose sight of it. And every now and then, we need to be brought back to the place where we remember the story. Wasn't my heart burning? Wasn't my heart burning? And where I need that encouragement, where I need to hear the bigger picture. Because there's times where life can be scary. I love this quote by Tony Evans up in Dallas. And he says, when it seems like things are out of control... Because here's the thing, you're hearing me preach now, but come Wednesday, Thursday, your work's out of control, your children are pooping everywhere, and they're sick, and then there's, you know, your studies, all of a sudden your, your GPA just went down like two points, and all of a sudden it seems like everything's out of control, and you forgot the burning feeling, right? You forgot the burning feeling, and I love what he says, when it seems like things are out of control, it really is just out of your control. Rest. God's got it. Trust him. Tony Evans. Rest. God's got it. And we need to remember the story once again, don't we? We need to remember the story. God's got this. God's got this. Friends, dear dear friends, dearly beloved. (laughs) I want to close with a serenity prayer. Because I don't know about you, but I need serenity. And I need that serenity uh, many times in the middle of the week. So if you could pull up that serenity prayer, this is the long version by Reinhold Niebuhr. Many of us have heard those first two lines of the serenity prayer. Many of us have not heard the full prayer by that theologian, that wonderful theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr. And um, I love this prayer. I was meeting with Edward Swartz this week. They're on vacation this weekend. And he was sharing with me some of the stress of his life. And it so happened that I had a coin in my pocket because I carry around the serenity prayer to get me through the day sometimes. And I gave that coin to him. And I'm thinking, maybe I should buy a hundred of those so that whenever I meet with people, I could just give out that, that little brass coin that has this prayer on it. Hear the words of this prayer. I'll say it for you. You can close your eyes. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that God will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Pause for a moment, friends. 
Bobby, if you can come up. And Do you need some serenity today? <laughs> do you need serenity for the rest of the week? We're going to come to the table today. And the wonderful thing about the communion, there's different views on it. I believe that there is something spiritual that happens when we eat it. I really believe something spiritual happens when we eat this. Whether you believe it's just a symbol or whether you believe that there's more, there's a reason why pastors and priests say this is the body and the blood of Christ. And when you come forward later, take that sustenance, taste the juice, taste its sweetness, and remember it in the middle of the week. Remember that Christ lives inside of you. And when you eat this, in a very real sense, he lives inside of you. And be strengthened and nourished for your week ahead. God, we thank you for this time of worship, for this empowerment for the next six days. We come to you, Lord, with our lives, with our best offerings. We come to you, Lord, with everything we have. Give us, Lord, I pray, what we need for the week ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.